Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. In the river with a saturated liver And I wish I could forgive her But I do believe she meant it When she told me to forget it And I bet you will forget it When they find me in the morning Wet and drowned And the wood gets round I'm going down I'm going down I'm coming up for air It's pretty stuff under there Like they say I didn't care But I forgot to leave a note And it's a hot to stay afloat I'm soaking wet without a boat And I knew I should have taken off my shoes It's front page news Going down All right, then. All right. That's the monkeys, by the way. That was used in an episode of Breaking Bad, and I was I was watching said episode, and I'm something of a monkeys fan. And it was just so abrupt and weird, and it's actually a perfect song for a meth head, you know? And I think Jesse, the character Jesse was like searching his house for something and running around in a frenzy. They were playing this song, and I thought, well, what is, I know that song. What is it, though? I just, I couldn't get the monkeys and Breaking Bad to kind of reconcile in my brain. So, um, you know, you may wonder, by the way, today is Ask or Tell Me Anything. Uh, you have only to call the number 888-720-WNPR or 888-720-9677. And, um, and, and you will be connected with me. <laughs> and, and we will talk on the air about whatever you choose. So you may wonder... What does he think about right before he's going on the air? What does you may be wondering? What is this show? I just rented this car at the airport. Uh, the radio is tuned to this. What, what is this show? I mean, that's one thing you could be thinking about. And in fact, you know who that happened to? It happened to Ken Jennings of Jeopardy fame. That he rented a car at the airport. Who knows where he was going? Uh, and he he gratefully was able to find public radio. But then it was us, and we were talking about, I don't know, maybe towels or something. I can't remember. Whatever it was, he he was not happy. He was displeased. He was crestfallen and disappointed. But anyway, you may be wondering, what am I thinking about before I go on the air? And what I found myself thinking about right before I went on the air today was that we don't really know what kinds of noises most dinosaurs made, right? So, and like, if you see Jurassic Park and stuff like that, you know, the Tyrannosaurus is always going, right? You know, we don't know that they did that. I mean, for all we know, what the Tyrannosaurus did was go, hello, like that. That could have been the Tyrannosaurus's noise. They could have gone, hello. Um, and so that's what I was doing. <laughs> that's what I was doing before I went on the air was I was practicing my funny Tyrannosaurus voice. Um also, I kind of buried the lead there, which is that Tyrannosaurus has apparently said hello, you know, which that would be in terms of, you know, paleobiology. I think that would be the, the, the big news of the day. So uh, that's fake news, though. I mean, don't put it up on, on social media, you know. All right. I'm ready. I just knocked my water over. I'm ready. I'm ready to start talking to people. And people are apparently ready to. Oh, and I'm going to tell you one other thing. Oh, two other things. 
Now it's starting to sound like the Spanish Inquisition. Three other things. So, no, one thing I'm going to tell you is that they've resized the little boxes on my screen so I can only see the first one, two, three, four, five, six letters of any town name. So I may have to guess what town you're from based on the first six letters of it. So don't be from some Welsh town that has like a 37-letter name. First of all, don't do that. Don't call if you're in Wales right now is what I'm actually saying. What was the other thing? Oh, and then I have... um. You know, in case things get slow, which they don't ever seem to do, but I have a sealed envelope from Mr. Carp, Mr. Carp, my college friend, um, who sends me sealed envelopes in the mail, surface mail, and they contain clippings. And so if we, if we don't know what to talk about, we can open one of the envelopes. But the way that that works is someone has to call here and ask me to open the envelope, in which case I will, and, and then you may have to talk to me about whatever's in the envelope. So here's the envelope right here. All right, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready for anything. We're going to start with Scott. Here is Scott from Wallen. I'm going to guess you're from Wallingford. Correct. All right. One for one so far. One for one. Pretty good, yeah. Colin. I'm surprised you jumped right into taking calls so soon. Usually you go on for a while. Sometimes longer. I do, but boy, the calls, they all, we've got like four calls on the screen. They're all from men. So women folk, women folk, feel free to call. You know, we need, um, women are sometimes more reluctant to be talk radio callers for all kinds of reasons having to do, I think, with the just general social oppression of women for centuries. But the number is 888-720-WNPR. You, you will be welcome here, women, and you will be treated with respect. 888 720 Unless you're like a total chump wagon. Uh, 888-720-9677. All right. So what's on your mind, Scott from Wallingford? I just wanted to talk about the environment. And, and, um, you know, there's so much going on in the world today that's environmentally related. And big tornadoes come through and we have heat waves and tremendous amounts of rain and drought and and all kinds of stuff going on. But yet um, the media, shows like yours, don't seem to really talk about what we as individuals can do to help that and and to and to instruct and and educate people about some of the simple things that we can be doing on a daily basis to maybe help a little bit with the environment. So what do you think about that? I think you're right. I mean, we do shows about climate change, but we don't do them that often. And it's obviously an existential problem. Um, I, I The other thing that I think is, I mean, I am all for doing little everyday things. Uh, to to make the planet better and safer. I mean, I think we also have to admit that absent some kind of coherent international leadership, the little things we do probably are not going to make a big difference. But we might as well do them anyway. Better to do that than to do nothing. I mean, it's clear that we don't take this seriously as a society. I mean, one thing that I th- I'll tell you what I think as I'm driving around. I think if we took any of this stuff seriously. Every single shopping center or mall parking lot that I ever passed would, like those big, huge parking lots outside of malls and stuff, would have solar panels over all of them, you know. And first of all, people would like it because they'd have some protective covering, you know, when from the rain or the snow or the whatever. And, and meanwhile, you know, these, these are these huge amounts of open space that could be gathering energy uh, and, and probably powering an awful lot of the operations of the mall or shopping center and maybe more than that still. And, you know, selling, you could sell power back up the line. The other thing that I think about all the time, it drives me nuts, is the island of Vieques, which doesn't seem like maybe it would be the most top, most top of mind thing for a radio host sitting in Connecticut. But I've been there a lot of times. And, you know, when, the, when Maria came through, because their power was coming from an underwater cable, that was disrupted. 
and they lost their power for like years. I don't even know if they've got their power back yet, but they didn't have their power for a really long time. You know, and Vieques is famous for having this huge abandoned, you know, naval facility where they used to do basically war games with really ammunition and stuff. It used to be test bombs and stuff. Um, but there's, you know, it's also famous for having a lot of sun. Um, you know, there's no reason why Vieques couldn't be energy independent. All you would have to do is put a, a massive solar array on that Navy land that's currently being used for nothing and probably can't be used for anything ever anyway because there's all this residual pollution, heavy metals and toxins and stuff from all the crap the Navy was messing around with there. But you could certainly put solar power panels there. I mean, look, if we cared about it enough to really begin to try to mitigate the effects of global warming, and and attend to climate change. We'd be doing stuff like that. And I, there seems to be no will to do those things. So I don't know. Yeah. What, do, what do you think? Well, those, yeah, the, well, those shopping centers that you're talking about, solar panels, they could be, they could have rooftop gardens as well, never mind more solar panels. But, you know, there's so many little things. But I think if the, if the common everyday people, you and I and you, the listener, um, were given some ideas about things that they could do on a daily basis, and people started doing them. Buying, um, buying power started to change things. I mean, look at it this way: five years ago or so, it was hard to get organic um, produce in a in a run-of-the-mill everyday grocery store, and if you could, it was expensive. Nowadays, because the people are asking for it and are demanding it and paying for it, it's readily available, and the price is down. Uh, so that's a good example of how the power of everyday people can change policies. No. Well, yeah, no, I mean, I think that's true. I Look, I, the show I used to do for 16 years at WTIC, I used to have this group of people called the Alter Alternative Energy All-Stars, and they were people who worked in these fields, including one guy who was, I think, an engineer who just as a project for himself, had gone completely energy neutral. I mean, he totally carbon neutral. He was actually, I mean, he was using geothermal and solar, and I forget what else, in, just at his house, and, you know, and selling power back up the line to the power company. And he just, he, he basically didn't pay any money to any utility for power. Uh, and you can do stuff like that. People could do stuff like that right now. That would probably, that and cutting down on your driving, which I do talk about a lot here on this show, would those things would be meaningful, you know, and 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 militating or excuse me, agitating for for better mass transit would be a really important thing too. Because if you're going to get people out of their out of their cars, you have to get them into something else. Um, yeah, yeah. So you know, changing changing all that. I mean, the our attachment to one person in one car going 35 miles to work is a big problem, and we have to get over that. Uh, but I mean, you know, all of our land use planning here in Connecticut was set up with the idea that fuel would be cheap, uh, available, and not have any ruinous climate or planetary impact, you know, and, and those those are wrong suppositions. But, I mean, Connecticut looks like it was set up to make cars happy, not people. Um, all right. So, um, well, I'm just going to go right down the line here. Although I think Rick called uh, last week, and because... I don't know, because of whatever, I can tell that he's from Guilford. Uh, hi, Rick, you're on the air. Hi, Colin. Yes, Guilford. Right on. And I was one of those people who was hanging on right at the end, and uh, I fell off the cliff when 
<laughs> when the program ended. Oh, I'm sorry. Are you okay? Did you get some kind of emergency treatment? Were you taken to a hospital? Did you have insurance? Are you mispronouncing my? Are you? Are you mispronouncing my first name intentionally? Just out of curiosity. I climbed back up the cliff, and uh, here I am. And this is the uh, crazy ideas department, but I thought it might be um, uh, something that you might uh, want to opine on and be interested in. So um, I'm a retired physician, by the way, and internist, and something that I've been thinking about is the influence of the pandemic on the kind of crazy historical fanaticism that we're seeing in our political life. Um, and um, uh, with all kinds of conspiracy theories, with a president um, who, uh, by some accounts, could be called crazy. Um, Which president and, are we talking about now? Else. Hello. Hello. Anything else? So I just wanted to uh, put out there um, if there are any thoughts about the pandemic uh, exerting an influence on the kind of mad thinking that is surrounding us. Yeah, I think the influence, unfortunately, has been negative. I mean, it's sort of created a whole new battlefield that didn't exist before for that kind of stuff, a battlefield in which, in the, let me just quickly say something about that. And then, I guess maybe we might go to a quick break here. But um, so um, one, the way that crazy thinking works in this country uh, and in this moment in time is that if you start one kind of crazy thinking and you start exploring that on the internet, the algorithms will push you towards other kinds of crazy thinking. So if you per the suggestions of Kyrie Irving, decide that maybe the earth is flat and you start looking at videos about flat earth. YouTube has supposedly corrected some of this, but I don't think they've completely fixed it. If you start doing that, um, one of two things will happen. First of all, you might fall off a cliff like Rick did because the earth is flat. And if he were to fall off a cliff on a flat earth, he would never stop falling. That's a very alarming idea. But no, um, if you start looking at videos about flat Earth, you may find yourself ultimately directed towards, you know, Obama birther stuff, 9-11 truther stuff, Sandy Hook didn't happen stuff. You know, this stuff is all kind of networked together. And then if you're if you feel as though YouTube or whatever is depriving you of those things, which you'll start to think if you become involved in this whole spider web. Um, you'll start, you'll go on to things that are not, I mean, I haven't, I've lost track of the latest social media alternative things, you know, but there's a whole bunch of them now where you can go look at stuff that they will <laughs> let you show on YouTube. So yes, but what happened with the pandemic though was it created an interest in that kind of alternative fact scenario. Um, and people love to hear, to think that there are conspiracies and those people will ultimately, and they already have wound up, wind up joining the, you know, the evil dead army of people who believe all other kinds of nonsense. So it's not a pretty picture. I wish I had, he's going to fall off a cliff again. That's what I feel. I feel like he's going to call up next week and say, I fell off a cliff again. All right. We're going to have to take a quick break and then we'll come back and then we'll be here. I 
was watching this movie on my VCR. The things they were doing just a little bizarre. And the expression of passion amid sweat and chlorine. Support for this podcast comes from Hartford Healthcare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. Loneliness can be a significant health risk to people of all ages. Dr. Laura Saunders, a psychologist from Hartford HealthCare's Institute of Living, talks about social isolation and why we need to connect in person. Loneliness actually is a pretty significant health risk for people that struggle with social isolation. It affects their blood pressure, it affects their immune system, it affects your willingness to get up and get out and can cause some not just emotional issues, but health problems as well. You're not alone. Dr. Saunders explains how important it is for us to look to others and get out of our comfort zone. I like to talk about social isolation as not just that individual's problem, but it's a community problem or it's a family problem. We need to connect with others. We can take space at times as well, but we need to step out of our comfort zone and do things to connect with other people. It's life-saving. For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash health. I was put in mind of that particular song today, reading Barton Gilman's piece uh, in The Atlantic about the fact that basically all of the violence that we saw on January 6th was a recruitment activity to build a larger group of people who would engage in violence the next time around. And, and Gelman basically is one of the foremost writers on the idea that we are going to have worse experiences in the next elections, especially 2024, not only because... Uh, Trump and his followers are you know, monkeying around with the uh, status of different election officials, right down to you know some obscure judge in some Pennsylvania county or something. Uh, not only because of that, but also because there's sort of more crazy, violent people uh, ready to go and kind of gunning their engines. All right, so um, we do need lady people to call in. Lady persons, I think, is the the correct term. Lady persons, people with two X chromosomes. Uh, that kind of thing, uh, 888-720-WNPR, because we just have all dudes, you know, and that's not right. That doesn't feel good. Uh, 888, nothing against you dudes, 888-720-9677. All right, so, um, well, I just, you know, I've been doing okay here just going down the row, so that's why I'm going to do some more. Here's Jerry in, I'm going to say Wyndham. Hi, Jerry. Oh, yes, Wyndham it is. How are you doing? I'm doing just fine. So what I'd like to, to hear your views on is the current trend that we have of holding 
historical figures to our current standards. I mean, like, you know, the James Webb Telescope, they, they want to rename it because uh, he was part of the Lavender Scare of the 50s. And then you have, uh, you know, Audubon. They, the Audubon Society is considering changing their name, even though it's something that, you know, he created or whatever. And, you know, because he was a racist. But if you keep doing that, you're going to find that, all of our historical figures, George Washington, you know, who was a slave owner who actually never released his slaves when he died, are all going to fall away. I mean, you know, if, let's say George Washington in particular, are we going to take him off the dollar bill? Are we going to tear down the Washington Monument? You know, what do you think? I think, first of all, it's an enormously thorny question. Sometimes I think it's relatively easy. Uh, you know, and and it sort of depends on the point in history, how obscure uh, the right idea was, how prevalent the bad idea was. I mean, I sort of feel as though people who own slaves and who fought for the rights of slaveholders, they have a lot to account for, no matter what historical period they're from, because. I mean, there was, there's always there were there have always been abolition movements, or at least certainly dating back to the time of Washington, there were abolition movements, and they got stronger. And it was a subject of conversation at the Constitutional Convention, so we know it was on the table. So in order to do it, you ultimately had to know that there was a school of thought that this was wrong, that owning people was wrong, that treating people like property was wrong, that doing things like taking a nuclear family of slaves and in order to discipline them or deal with any kind of troublemaking qualities you perceive them to have, selling them to different people. So a father would go one place, uh, a mother would go in another place, maybe the kids would stay on your plantation. I mean, these are all techniques used by these people. That, that's a technique that was used by Jefferson, Mr. Apostle of Liberty and Human Rights and stuff like that. And I do think ultimately, I don't know that we have to pull down every statue and take things off of currency, but we have to keep having that conversation. We we can't pretend. I mean, there there are ways in which, and some of the earlier examples that you gave, you know, I mean, a lot of these things weren't were just kind of not cool in their time, uh, and and you know, if you were sort of a decent person, you could probably figure out it wasn't a good thing for you to be doing. So I, I don't think they should anybody should be let left off the hook, let off the hook with oh well, it was a different time; they didn't know any better. Well, let's make sure that that's true. And there certainly was access to better moral knowledge than people were acting on in most of the instances that you named. You know, which doesn't – I'm not really for a historical erasure or scrubbing everything or – I mean, I was one of the people I, – I might be – I've accomplished almost no material things ever in my journalism career, but the fact that Calhoun College is no longer called Calhoun College is at Yale is at least partly due, I think, to me and something I wrote in Salon. But, you know, I mean, to me, that's a somewhat easier one. You know, this is now we're, you know, a uh, hundred years out from Washington, uh, and John C. Calhoun is a white supremacist. And to me, you just don't name your college at Yale after him. So, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not an absolutist either way, but I don't think the it was a different time thing works entirely. Your thoughts? Well, you, you know, I mean, our moral values change. But let's let's say for you, example, for example, let's say you know you uh, win lots of accolades, and for some reason they decide to build a federal building in your name, and then you know a hundred years from now, everybody's views change, and something that you were you know. We're all for, and everyone that we all, you know, that everybody knows agrees the same thing because now the views have changed. 
are you know they are they going to take down your building and you know scrub your name off that that's where i'm coming at it's like you know we you know things can be wrong and you know things but if the prevalent uh morals of society all you know allow that and it makes it seem okay and I'm not, and I'm not saying that that what they did was right, or you know, obviously what they did was wrong. But the moral consensus of what's being done uh, made them feel that they were in the right. And and then now we're we're going back, you know, hundred, two hundred, three hundred years later, and saying, oh no, no, that was you were a bad man because you you did something that everybody else was doing. And we're going to punish you because you had some sort of great epiphany or something like well, that. Well, I mean, everyone else was doing it is never a really good, very good excuse. And, and you know, in the case of slaveholding and, and particularly somebody like Jefferson, for Jefferson to have written the words that he wrote, you know, and, and then to not be able to recognize the humanity of other human beings that he owned— uh, I mean, that takes uh, mental effort to be able to do that. You have to really want to think that way in order to do that. It's not like, oh, there's this kind of default assumption here that slavery is okay. And I don't know too much about slavery, but if everybody else says it's okay, I guess it's okay. That's not the situation with somebody like Thomas Jefferson. He's owning slaves. He's abusing slaves. He's treating them as less than human, even though he knows that they're human. He know- He's so familiar with the fact that they're human. He's having sex and fathering children with one of them. So, uh, you know, to me, I think, once again, I'm not saying that you have to scour him his name off of everything. You know, I'm not saying you have to pull down every statue. But you, you've got to do something. I mean, I'm all for dialogue. Like somebody else here wants to talk about John Mason. And I don't think I can do that right now because we have to go to a break. But, um, you know, John Mason is an interesting case. Walter Woodward was talking about this. I heard him talking about it on Where We Live this morning, our state historian, our soon-to-retire state historian. You know, that it's a little bit more complicated than we want to make it. Although, you know, massacring women and children, it just, you know, it's hard hard to say, well, you know, there may be some extenuating circumstances there. Uh, But as Walter was pointing out, I think it wasn't just sort of white men versus the uh, Pequots. I think he was saying that the Sequin Indians kind of brought— Mason and his people in to help with the war that they were having. I don't know. I was in my car. I didn't hear the whole thing. I mean, you can look at the complexity of something like that, but we can't just say, you know what? We're not going to worry about that stuff because it was a long time ago. That really doesn't work. At least it doesn't work for me. All right. We have to take a quick break here to do a little pledge fundraising stuff, you know, some hopey changey fundraising stuff. And I hope that you will take this opportunity to support this show during our hour. It helps us if you do it during our hour. All right, we're back, uh, and we're about to resume Ask or Tell Me Anything, and some women have called up, lady persons, that's good. Uh, what else do I need to tell you? Um, oh, and I hope that some of you did call in and pledge. It's the first day of pledge. It's hard to get people to pledge, but if you would do that during this show, it would be very helpful. I have to pledge on Friday morning with the CEO of this corporation, or if that's what it is. Uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> I don't go to any of the meetings, so I don't know if we're a corporation or not. That's that. <laughs> it's that kind of basic knowledge that I'm actually lacking. Uh, but uh, Mark Contreras and I are going to do a morning pledge break, and you know, one slip up by me, and I'm gone. I'm out of here. You know, if I a slip of the tongue, I could be just out on the street. He's actually, you know, I have to say though, like. Unlike most CEOs, he calls me on a regular. He called me last week to say that he was on I ninety five and he could see a billboard with my face on it, and he didn't even seem to find that upsetting. So that's good. Uh, I should also mention we do. I do have an envelope, a secret envelope from Mr. Carp, my college classmate. It would have topics in it, but it seems like people have things that they want to talk about. And then I want to remind you also that I'm dealing with a situation where I can only see the first few letters of each town. So I. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> I currently have calls on the board from Middle, Collins, Willing, East, Kaska, and South. That's where the calls are from right now. All right. Uh, I won't give out the phone number because we have a lot of calls. Um, let's start with – we're just going to take three women first, all right? That's because we're going to do that. Uh, here's Molly from – I'm going to guess Collinsville, but, uh, you know, I mean, it could be something else, I guess. Hi, Molly. You're on the air. Correct. Right. I'm from Collinsville. So I, when I was a little kid, I read a procu- proclamation by His Excellency Abraham Ribicoff, governor, about, the, um, Indi- about Indian Day. And I've been intrigued with the indigenous people ever since. And an idea that occurs to me is that if every kid were taught about the indigenous people that lived where their school is, that would be helpful to begin their education with the fact that, um, you know, basically there were people that lived here that got wiped out. My family made fun of me because I, whenever we went by woods, I continued to look for them, not understanding that they'd been wiped out. And my dad would well, say, did, to did be, you see did To be you fair, you were 23 years old at the time. You should have grasped it by then. Uh-huh. <laughs> So anyway, I, I just, and the, another simple thing that I've done is I, I found out the indigenous people at Standing Rock didn't use $20 bills because of the... Jackson, yeah. 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 He was, it's like having Hitler, a genocidal maniac on your money. Right. My fa- so my, I stopped my, doing that. Right. My father wouldn't walk into a bar called the Oliver Cromwell. But I mean, I, I, I get it. The one thing I would say, I think you're totally right, by the way. I mean, I think it really should be taught. I don't know what the curriculum is like these days. Uh, there's probably critical indigenous people theory that people are very worried about right now. But, you know, I think it should be taught in the schools. I think the idea of teaching the people, teaching about the people who were specifically indigenous to the place where your school is, is a great idea. The one thing that, one caveat I would throw in is it's also not necessary to um, to valorize or sugarcoat um, uh, history. I mean, I don't know. I Last year I read the book Empire of the Summer Moon about the Comanche Nation, and they would just rip your face off, you know, and, and it wasn't just because white imperialists were coming to take their land. They'd rip anybody's face off. And and I think it's important to be clear about that, too, you know, that, that yes, we've done a tremendous amount of damage in terms of extirpation of their culture uh, and the seizing of their assets and their land and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but that doesn't mean you have to valorize them in ways that contravene the historical record. That's all. Okay. Um, let's go to Rose and then Alyssa. Is Alyssa. No, Alyssa hung up. I don't blame her. I don't blame Alyssa one bit. All right. Here's a Rose from Willing. 
I'm going to say that we're from Willingham. I don't know, something like that. Willington, actually. Willington. I should have gotten that. Willington. Oh, that's right. That's where they had that great pizza place. Okay. I know exactly it where it is. Yeah. All right. Fire away. You have the floor. Thank you. So before the break, we were talking about, um, you know, names on buildings and statues and stuff. And, you know, it got me to thinking that why do we put these specific people's names on buildings or statues or et cetera? And it tends to be one of two things. Either there's somebody we idolize or there's somebody who gave a lot of money. And I think we can pretty much say that just because you gave a lot of money isn't a great reason to put your name on a statue or a building. But if we're going to talk about idolizing people, maybe that's where society needs to look as to how to fix this problem. Is Maybe we stop doing that quite so much. We do have a tendency to make people into celebrities and idolize them and, you know, become obsessed with them or something. And it's like, maybe that's where we need to tone it down a little bit and remember that people are valuable and doesn't really matter almost anybody's name you throw in a building 200 years from now that might be questionable or something was revealed about their history that was not great, you know. I, I, you know, it's a really interesting argument that you're making, and I, I think it's a great point, too. I'm, almost anybody's going to fail you at some point. I mean, because of the the original caller about this was making the argument. Well, because our standards change, yeah. But, um, but yeah, maybe we should just name buildings after people who were just not famous but sort of nice people. You know, so it would be like the Noreen Taylor who often would lend people her car life sciences building. You know, people who just sort of regular people, but they were nice and, and, and they were accommodating. And we, we wouldn't have to sort of turn them into celebrities. Um, that's just my take on it. But obviously, Rose, you probably have the more. <laughs> but then, like, what would the names of buildings be? <laughs> the gym. <laughs> the gym. I guess it could be the gym, right? As long as there's only one gym. Um, all right. Um, I have to sort of digest that one a little bit. All right, here is a call from, um, this is an interesting thing. I don't know if I'm going to be helpful. From First of all, I hope I'm saying your name right. Turia, is that your name? Hello? Hello, hi. Ah, yes, Turia. Yeah. Ah, uh, yes. Um, first off, to let you know, I am a regular donor, have been for quite a while. Um, however, I am looking for another station uh, to donate to, preferably something uh, small, um, rather needy, and uh, if it's out in Orange Country where it can, um, they can influence a mind or two, that would be just lovely, and I was hoping maybe you or somebody at the station might have an idea for me. No, our position is that all the other public radio stations are, you know, a bunch of jerks, and you should just give only money to us. Yeah, uh, right. No, no, that's not. <laughs> I, I, you know, I wish I had a really good answer to that. I mean, there are like tiny little stations uh, are dotted around. There used to be one up in the Great Barrington area that was called, I think, Robin Hood Radio. I think it's gone now, but it was like the smallest public radio station in America. But um, I think that's a great idea. But also, don't forget about college radio stations, which are often. Like WWUH, you know, is like a – actually, I've got a, a University of Hartford student on the other side of the glass right now. I, I've given money to them in the past because they just do great stuff and they do stuff that we don't do too. We we can only do one set of things every day, you know. And, and so even in the ecosystem that you live in, there are stations that are doing, you know – 
good things. Uh, and and they, they're not all public radio stations. College, there's some college radio stations. And there, there's community radio. I mean, you know, like down in New Haven, Paul Bass has got the, his kind of low-po and somewhat digital W-Y-W. <laughs> I should know it. W-N-H-H. Is that it? W-N-H-H? Is that what it is, Pants? Paul Bass's radio station, where like everybody we know works. Yeah, WNHH. So that's really good too. These kind of you know digital community community radio stations. Now you know to your point about, I think I understand what you mean by Orange Country. I mean there's you know I mean you're not going to raise anybody's consciousness in New Haven that doesn't already have a raised consciousness. You know it's just it's a completely woke drenched zone. But I will also put the question out there, Tori. I think it's a great one. You know like where else? After you've maxed out to us, after the FCC just won't let you give any more money to us, where else could you pledge? Uh, it's a very good good question. All right. Uh, before I take any other calls, I want to make sure that I thank the entire team here today. That would be Kat Pastor in the booth and also Dylan Ray's in the booth. They're both in the booth. Uh, and then Jonathan McPants is in there screening calls and helping get the music on the air and stuff like that. All right. So. We've, um, uh, let's see. Da, 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 da. Okay, let's go up here. I may not know what to say about some of these things. I'm just telling you that right now. Like the next call I take, I might not be very well prepared for. But let's see. Let's see what we get. All right, here's um, Raj uh, in Middle. I'm going to say Middletown. Am I correct? Yeah, I'm okay. in Middletown. All right, there we go. And it's Raj. Okay, oh, so, oh sorry. Okay, so uh, what's on your mind? So I was just, you know, I read in the Hartford Current uh, yesterday or the day before that Yale New Haven has announced that they will be prioritized. They're apparently worried about capacity in the hospital, et cetera. And so with regard to treatments for patients who have COVID, they are going to be prioritizing unvaccinated people because of the fear that their illness will be worse than someone who is vaccinated. So uh, we're talking about monoclonal antibodies here. Mm -hmm. So I I was just interested in what what you think about that. It's a really interesting question. And from the point of view of medical ethics, I mean, I think medical ethics doesn't really allow you to uh, or doesn't doesn't allow them, let's say, to start identifying people, uh, patient populations as being morally reprehensible and therefore ineligible for treatment, because you could sort of see where that would go, right? I mean, in a way, I have um, flashbacks sometimes when I hear people talking about stuff like this with COVID to the era of AIDS, you know, because there was a, in the late 80s, you know, during the Reagan years, there was a this kind of unspoken or sometimes spoken idea that, quote, these people, unquote, had, quote, brought this on themselves through their behavior, blah, 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 blah. So it wasn't a real, you know, uh, deadly epidemic like would affect just everybody. Um, and I, so I think we have to be sort of careful by say, if we say your behavior, the personal choices you're making or who you are, or how you identify or what you were born as or how that all kind of assembles into a melange of your identity that somehow or other it makes you less eligible for medical, medical treatment. Now, prioritizing, I think what they're saying there obviously is that the people coming in who are unvaccinated are going to be sicker. They'll benefit more from the monoclonals than the average vaccinated person, although I would hope in that group somewhere of people, I, I haven't read the new, I assume we're talking about Yale New Haven Hospital. So um, 
I haven't read that policy. I would assume that immunocompromised people and maybe the very old, the people who, in fact, don't, even if they're vaccinated, can't produce robust immune responses. I would assume that they're super eligible for monoclonals, a place like Yale New Haven that has Smilo in it. There's just no way they're not going to be aware of the fact that there are a lot of their patients, people that they've been treating for a year, two years, three years, people that they have been giving chemotherapy to that is essentially punching down the lymphoblasts of the patients, making it almost impossible for them to produce an immune response through vaccination, that those people would also go to the front of the line. As far as I'm concerned, and I do have a dog in this fight, I have a very, very close person in my life who fits that description. They should go ahead of the unvaccinated. You know? I mean, if, you, if you've tried to produce an immune response and for whatever reason, because you're too old or you're immunosuppressed or whatever, um, you can't. You should go to the front of the line. Maybe the unvaccinated uh, get right behind you ahead of the common ruck of vaccinated people. I don't know. But I'm a little, you know, I mean, people who aren't vaccinated, people who, have, who don't get vaccinated, for the most part, they're not evil. You know, I mean, some of them are real jerks, but I mean, they're not sort of secondary life forms, <laughs> as frustrating as we might find them. Uh, you know, I don't think we can sort of really go there. And, and, and it does, you know, I mean, it's a slippery slope, too. It does lead to sort of saying, oh, well, these people are not quite equal. Um, and um, all right. There's a call about Cicero. All right, I'll take it. I don't know. Do I? No, I can't really. I only got a minute, right? I can't take it. I can't take a call. All right, I'm sorry about that. So once again, people are going to come on now and ask you to support this radio station. If you do it at this time, you will validate our efforts to do this show, unless you don't want to do that. Uh, in which case, do not pledge during this time. <laughs> if, if this whole thing was just insufferable, please don't pledge. But the rest of you, pledge while we're on the air. It really does help us. <laughs> 